Hey there, good afternoon. Welcome to Wednesday's Richie Allen Radio Show. I hope all is well with you. Thank you for finding me. My name is Richie Allen. I'll be with you till 7 o'clock this evening. That's UK time. Dean Henderson, what a man, what a guy, will join me a little bit later on. You don't want to miss him. Reach out to me via the website and via the app. You know how to do it now. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host... Richie Allen. Yeah, the last time we spoke with Dean, he told us that his amazing wife Jill was restoring the Henderson Left Hook archives. Thousands of articles and um, nuggets of information and facts about uh, where we got to, how we got to be where we are today. Anyway, we've lots to talk about with Dean. We're going to talk about the state of our nations and that's an extended conversation. It will be live, so if there's something you'd like me to mention to Dean, as I said, reach out to me via the website, via the app, and have your say Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday. Yes, I had three days off. You'd swear I disappeared for six months, the way some of you carry on. Three days. I took Sunday, Monday and Tuesday off. But I needed to. I had a good couple of days off. I enjoyed it. As I mentioned on the Papers podcast, which is back online, I went to the snooker in Bolton on Monday. The snooker with me pal, Tez. Really enjoyed that, actually. It was a lovely afternoon, sipping Guinness and watching the snooker. There isn't anything more serene. At least I've not found anything more serene to do. So, yeah, quite a few days, and I just needed to just stop. You know, and it's good. Now we go through till the 22nd of December without any pauses. That's how it's going to be. We're into the second term, the second part of the autumn term. Hey, listen, they're they're mentioning that the volcano, not the volcano, but a volcano in Iceland might be about to erupt. The BBC correspondent Jessica Parker, that's her name, was reporting from the Icelandic town of Grindavik, Right in the middle of a report when some authority-looking people, some people who looked like they knew what they were doing, came up to her and said, get out of the area, all of you, because it might be about to blow. It didn't blow just yet anyway. They allowed the residents back in to the town to pick up their belongings and what have you. But they're expecting a big eruption there in this place, which is near Reykjavik. And uh, this brings back memories of 2010. I think it was 2010, wasn't it? When that volcano, that to this day nobody has pronounced, unless you're Icelandic, nobody has pronounced it properly. They gave all manner of, um, what, how would you say this? They put out all sorts of incentives, didn't they, back in 2010, for people to pronounce it correctly, but nobody could. It's Ayafjallukul or something like that. I can't remember. Ayafjallukul. It blew up in 2010 and the cloudy skies around Northern Europe, grounded the planes for for weeks, didn't it? Michael O'Leary had kittens. Nothing flew in Europe. I bet you he's shitting himself today. And your man Stavros over at EasyJet. Although I don't think Stavros is at EasyJet anymore, is he not? Anyway, but they're saying the volcano will erupt the volcano and the thousands of flights might be cancelled. Another crisis. I tell you what, dear listener, we are in perma-crisis now, aren't we? Is that how you say it? Perma-crisis. Is that what you mean with perennial, constant crisis mode? Yeah, we are. Uh, More sanctions for Russia from the European Union. 
Yes, on Russian diamonds this time. Yes, I'm smiling. The European Commission has proposed extending to diamonds a series of sanctions which were imposed on Russia since its invasion of Ukraine. So this move, according to the BBC, is part of the EU's 12th round of measures against Moscow. And these will come into effect in January. And it is linked to the G7, which is also discussing a ban on Russian diamonds. So you won't be able to buy a Russian diamond for your missus, or for your mister, or for your non-binary thingamajig, that you might be getting married to some non-binary freak. Can't get you a diamond from Russia in any case. Uh, since 2022, the EU has sanctioned Russian coal, gas, gold, vodka, vodka, and even caviar. Is that true about the vodka? Where is Smirnoff made? Is Smirnoff a Russian brand? I've never, I've never drunk. I've never drank. I've never imbibed on the Smirnoff. Because I don't like vodka. I like to taste my alcohol. So I've never been a vodka person. Is Smirnoff produced in Russia? I haven't a clue. Or is it just bullshit and it's produced in Europe? Let me know. Because there's a queer few alcoholics I know now. If, you know, Smirnoff might disappear in Europe, they won't be happy at all. But uh, yeah, the EU is announcing diamond sanctions on Russia. Hello? Israel? No, not a peep. Not a peep. More on that shortly. What do they have to do? How many babies did they have to assassinate? Before the EU says, you know what, let's, let's have a chat about sanctioning Russia. Apparently the International Criminal Court has opened a file on Israel. Yeah, more on that shortly. Right. Okay. Right. Speaking of climate change, which we weren't, but I'm going to speak about it now. The mayor of Paris, the Parisian mayor, her name is Anne Hidalgo. It's an exotic name. Anne Hidalgo. And she's banned rental electric scooters in Paris, which hasn't gone down well. And now she set her sights on banning SUVs, but not SUVs owned by Parisians, no. If you live outside Paris and you own an SUV, a Range Rover or something, Anne is going to, to charge the living bejesus out of you if you drive your SUV into Paris for a few days shopping. You'll be charged unmercifully. So uh, they're going to vote on this next February on whether to increase parking fees for these sports utility vehicles. It should be an easy victory, according to the press in Paris. An easy one because the people who can't, the people who will be affected by it, well, they won't have a say, will they? Because if you're living in, if you're living outside of Paris, you don't get a say, you don't get to vote. So this is going to come in. She is being criticised, though, for being a hypocrite which a lot of these climate evangelicals prove to be, don't they? Real hypocrites. Um, she, took a, she took a long, <clears throat> excuse me, excuse me, she took a very long voyage. Uh, she took a long trip uh, to take in uh, New Caledonia and French Polynesia in the South Pacific in October. Um, the first half of it was supposed to be unofficial business, but she stayed on for a few weeks to visit her daughter, who lives on the Polynesian island of Raiatea. Yes, hypocrites. Brilliant. Love this. We love a bit of mad news at the start of the monologue. We love the mad men, don't we? And the mad women in politics. Most of them are shills working for think tanks and civil servants and they're basically agents of an agenda. That's most elected officials. But some of them are just stone stonking mad. Like um, Stefan Kufa, who's the state secretary 
of Slovakia's culture ministry. He's announced that Jesus Christ should be made the king of Slovakia. He called on the clergy to support the coronation of the Son of God in a 12-minute speech at the Basilica of St. Nicholas. He said, on behalf of the Ministry of Culture, we make a promise, and I make it publicly here, that we will be the ones who will initiate, so that as soon as possible, Christ the King will be enthroned and become the King of Slovakia. Madman. Absolute madman. Rather than ignore this, the, uh, his, his political opponents made huge capital out of it, and said you shouldn't be preaching politics in the Basilica. And all of that jazz. So yeah, somebody tell him that Jesus died 2,000 years ago and he ascended into heaven where he is seated at the right hand of the Father. He doesn't need to be the king of Slovakia. Sunak and Rwanda, let's talk about this momentarily for a minute then. You know that the British government had a, had a plan, had a plan to deal with asylum seekers. And that plan was when they arrived in the UK to fly them to Rwanda. That's right, yes. We said it at the time. Madness, no, no, no basis in reality, and this was just culture war bollocks, basically, to stir up a big row, which it did at the time, and it raged on for months and months and months. Now, the Supreme Court here in the UK ruled today that um, it's not lawful to take people who seek asylum in the UK, whack them on a plane, and send them to Rwanda. Not to go too deeply into it, but chiefly for the reason that their safety can't be guaranteed there and there are no guarantees that the Rwandans won't just boot him out. Now, funnily enough, the leader of Rwanda's opposition party agrees with the Supreme Court here in the UK. That's right, a Rwandan politician went on LBC Radio today and effectively said the place is a bit of a shithole. Now, she didn't quite put it like that. Her name is Victoire Umoza, Victoire Umoza, I had to practice that a few times, and she says, well, th there are no guarantees that people, you know, who are sent to us will not be booted out and sent back to their country of origin. Here she is on LBC. Of course, Rwanda is not a rule of law country. So there's no... Rwanda is not a rule of law country, she said. No rule of law is respected in Rwanda. I can give example. Uh, I was condemned by a Rwanda court and I was cleared by, by appeal by uh, Africa Human Rights Court and, and the right, the court cleared my name, but until today, Rwanda refused to recognize the decision of the, the court. So it doesn't mean that uh, Rwanda does not respect the, the laws of the rules, even if the international rules of law. So this, uh, uh, I will not be surprised if Rwanda can send back some refugees, asylum seekers in the original country, even if the conversion of, uh, of Geneva about refugees uh, for about that. Fantastic, isn't it? I mean, it's vaudeville. There you have the leader of the opposition party in Rwanda saying, listen, the government here doesn't obey Supreme Court rulings within Rwanda. And there's absolutely no guarantee that if you send asylum seekers to us, that we won't send them off to the country they originally came from. Absolute nonsense. Um, sanction Israel, says who? Well, I've been saying it for years. Anybody who's ever listened to this programme will have heard me say way back when, back, I've been saying it since I began to do independent radio, 
is that Israel should be sanctioned, every one of its diplomats should be expelled, its assets should be frozen, and it should be starved. Right? The country now. The country, not the people there. Until it does what it's supposed to do. Until it obeys its obligations to um, to not brutalise, tyrannise, you know, and steal the land of um, the people of Palestine. So I've been saying this forever and a day. It seems, well, it depends on, on who you believe, really, but um, th- th- there, are mum- there are murmurings, there are rumblings of discontent, and that the support Israel enjoyed three, four weeks ago is beginning to wane a little bit as the death count continues to, to spiral in Gaza. It's uh, around about 11,500 now, 4,500 children dead. Yeah. When you say it like that, right? So Holly Cairns is the leader of the Social Democrats in Ireland. She tells Morning Ireland, the flagship programme for Ireland's national broadcaster. She explains why it is, I think you'll hear the presenter first, why it is she wants to kick out the diplomats, kick out the Israeli ambassador to Ireland and sanction the country. Holly Cairns. Is this really the time to cut ties with Israel? I think when we're in a situation where last Friday the the number of uh, deceased people, murdered people, was 11,000. They've now stopped counting the bodies because it's not possible. We don't know how many are still under rubble, potentially still alive. There's 160 children dying every day, 180 pregnant women giving birth without any medical assistance. 15% of those women need intervention. The list goes on. If now isn't the time that we say... We don't want to engage in an actor with an actor like this in that diplomatic way. Then I don't know when is that time. Do you know? I think we have to kind of come to the realization that Israel isn't going to stop at the moment. And although Ireland has been an outline, it's very welcome in that we've condemned the attack. And it's unlikely to stop its action, though, is it? Just because Ireland tells the ambassador to go home. (laughs) It's unlike. Uh, who 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 said it? Ireland. Oh, yeah, she's right. I mean, what, what does Ireland matter, right? Well, it has to start somewhere. And I just think as a country, when we are a minority voice, our actions become actually even more important. And words of condemnation won't stop the suffering in Gaza. We need actions to follow those words. Indeed. The United Nations has been condemning through numerous resolutions ever since I was a baby boy growing up in Ballybeg in Waterford in the 1970s. The UN has been condemning Israel, but, but not doing anything. Like It's like, I, how many times, we all know people who warn their kids if they don't stop acting the dickhead. You know, stop it now, I'm warning you. And then you never do anything. You never send the child to the bedroom without the PlayStation 5. You never do that. You, you, you threaten it, but you never do it. The child will just continue to do what it is the child likes doing, which is whatever the hell he bloody well wants to do. So they've been condemning Israel for years, ever since Moses was in short trousers. And Israel just goes, meh, but you're not going to do anything. But if every country in the West kicked out their ambassadors, if their assets were frozen, if their exports were piling up in their own ports with nobody to take them, they wouldn't be long about dancing to the tune of the rest of the world. This is how you do it. We've said this about other countries over the years. I mean, if it's good enough for the Ruskies, why not for Israel? It's a fair 
question. A little bit more of this exchange. Holly Cairns is the leader of the Social Democrats in Ireland. We're calling for also uh, economic sanctions. There's um, a thing called the EU-Israel Trade Agreement, and that's an agreement that underpins all of the trade between Europe and Israel, its biggest trading partner. Um, In there, there's an essential elements clause uh, around human rights. Israel are in clear breach of that clause. We believe that Ireland should push for suspension of the agreement because of that breach. Is there any reason to believe, though, that other countries in the EU would agree to this? It's a, it's about doing... The, present, the presenter is hilarious. I love the presenter. But sure, look, Ireland is kind of shite-like. Why would they listen to us kind of a thing? Is the presenter's attitude. Is there Holly Cairns from the Social Democrats. Uh, this is uh, Wednesday's Richie Allen Show. It is the 15th, by the way, of um, November 2023. My name is Richie Allen. Hang on a sec. Yeah, that's better. Okay. I- I'm with you till 7 o'clock. Dean Henderson is my guest and will join me in around about 30 minutes time. I'm looking forward to that. In the meantime, to your messages and thank you for them. As Sebastian has been on, he says regarding Rwanda, as the UK has already paid the government of Rwanda £140 million for this scheme. I wonder what is happening with that money, says Sebastian. Well, if the opposition leader there in Rwanda is anything to go by, they're probably partying like it's 2099. Yeah, this is not a country that obeys the rule of law. Don't send them here, she said. Fantastic, yeah. Um, Mark says, hi Mark, Smirnoff has made everywhere bar Russia, Richie. It's made in the USA and Britain, amongst other countries, Canada, Kenya, etc. Thank you, Mark. I didn't know that. You learn something new every day. So Smirnoff will not be disappearing off the shelves of Europe's supermarkets anytime soon. Russian vodka is as different, is a different quality altogether, as is the Polish vodka, says Mac. You're some bunch of alkies. Every second message is about vodka. Fantastic. Ardell asks, did you see that Greta has been accused of anti-Semitism? I did see that. She was in court today and pleaded not guilty to a public order offence, did as a little cherub. So she did, yeah, I did, I saw that. Mike says, a New York Times journalist called Richard Poe has a book out about the crown. When interviewed about it, I thought he was just copying Dean. Is that right, Mike? Are there some similarities? in Richard Poe's book, to the work of our friend Dean Henderson, which is on the record for many, many years. We'll have to chat with Dean about that. Thank you for all the information on the Smirnoff. It's boiled up in Warrington for the UK market. It's boiled up in Warrington. Hi to Amy. Not uranium, though, says Amy. They can still sell that. She Speaking of, of sanction in Russia, of course. Hi to Paul, who says, good evening and check your bias, BBG. It's Stelios from EasyJet, not Stavros. That's right. It's Stelios, not Stavros. Stavros is, um, yeah, Greek, Greek in, in London particularly. Greeks would have been called Stavros, wouldn't they? That's right. Brilliant. Yes, that's right. Stelios. I'm not sure if he's still involved. Though. Hi to Maria, who says, and my friends went to Iceland yesterday. Bad timing, she says. It might be. If that volcano explodes, it might be bad timing. You never know. Uh, Simon says, I enjoyed the piece. Thank you, Simon. Uh, Richie says, your regular listeners will be all too familiar with BBC Verify. Yes, that's right. The Mariana Spring thing. 
I came across a comedian called Darius or Darius Davies on YouTube channel Comedy Unleashed. I recommend everyone see it. Not only is it funny, it tells us a few things about BBC Verify. Thank you so much for that. 20 minutes it is past the hour. It's time for a tune. Here's a tune for you. When we come back, more news. Dean Henderson will be with me in uh, not too not too long now. Dean Henderson, yes. Some Led Zeppelin, maybe. You can never get enough of Led Zeppelin. So you can. You need A lot of drugs. A lot of drugs when that was recorded. Led Zeppelin, whole lot of love on the Richie Allen Show. 24 minutes it is, past the hour. Um, it could be one of those mad days. Dean is having some issues. Uh, getting into uh, Skype there. Um, we might end up doing this on the mobile, which is which is a bit mad, because we, we'll have him on for a while, but we'll figure it out, and we'll, we'll, we'll get Dean on shortly. Listen, I wanted to talk about this in detail today, but um, I won't. We'll just kind of skirt over a few things. Listen, at some stage this evening, there should be a vote in the House of Commons on whether or not the government should press the Israelis to, to and Hamas, it must be said. That's right, I must be, be clear about that. There will be a vote. The Scottish National Party has tabled an amendment, right, and it's looking like the Speaker of the House of Commons will, will allow this be, be put to a vote, where the House will be asked to vote on whether the government should call for the Israelis and Hamas to agree to a ceasefire. And there's been, obviously, a lot of talk about this, because apart from the... Well, apart really from the Scottish National Party, nobody else is calling for a ceasefire. Parroting that line that Israel has a right to defend herself and all of that jazz. So um, I should have mentioned that a little bit earlier on. But I wanted to talk about, and I'll skirt over a bit of it today, but the um, the creeping authoritarianism that is kind of moving on from creeping. And it's kind of jogging now, isn't it? If not flat out running at top speed. You know, I'm thinking over the weekend and the weekend before that the police could be actively seeking people because they were holding signs at the Palestine march, the pro-Palestine march. Signs which link Netanyahu to the Nazis or signs saying his government's crimes are comparable to Hitler. And the police now actively looking to arrest people, you know, who are criticising a foreign government on the streets of London. I mean, and very little is spoken of this, of course. And, you know, the so-called home of free speech, you know, GB News, the Conservative Channel and, and Talk TV, a shower of bullshitters, if ever there was a shower of bullshitters, you know. The ones who scream about being the home of free speech and the defenders of free speech, they were the very ones screaming for the pro-Palestine marches to be shut down. And they've not got a dicky bird to say nothing, because I do keep an eye on these channels. They're saying absolutely nothing about the fact the police are looking for people to arrest them in a so-called liberal democracy because they held signs criticising a foreign government. It's amazing, right? Because regardless of what your knowledge of history is, and I'm a history graduate, regardless of what you've... And it doesn't matter whether I'm a history graduate or not, I'm just putting it out there. 
But whatever you've read, whatever happened 80 years ago, the terrible things that happened in, in Nazi Germany, the crimes of the Israeli government are legit, legitimately comparable to the crimes of Hitler. They are. It's as simple as that, regardless of of them. Um, forget it. For, you, you know, for me, that's a, a non-starter. It's just a fact. And who gets to tell you or to tell me what, what, what to think, let alone what to say? I mean, it's kind of beyond chilling now, isn't it? The idea that you might be arrested for criticising a country, a foreign country and its government. And of course, if it's Russia or China, you can say whatever you want. I mean, if you said the Chinese are like Nazis because of their treatment of Uyghur Muslims, well, um, no problem. Nobody's going to come knocking on your door. Or the Russians are behaving like Nazis in Ukraine. Uh, again, nobody's going to come knocking on your door. Now, of course, I'm not being obtuse. I, I get it. You know, the Nazis slaughter Jews. I get it. So it's not, uh, some, so for some people, it isn't appropriate to compare. But people have every right to think that. People have every right to say, I don't think it's appropriate to compare. Fair enough. But that's where it should fucking end, right? Well, we can have a debate about it if you want. We can have a long-form conversation where we have a back and forth, like I did last Thursday with Daniel ben -Ami, where I made it clear what I think about the genocide, where I made it clear what I think about the history of the region, and what I think about Netanyahu, and then I left him say what he thinks about it, and then I let you make your minds up. So yeah, you can say it's not appropriate, but arresting people, and it is happening, you know? The Jews are not murdering babies in Gaza. I mean, the IDF is, at the behest of the Israeli government, but Jews are not Israel, and Israel isn't the Jews. Right? In my opinion. But back to, you can be arrested now for displaying the Israeli flag on a placard. You know the one that the left used, the momentum shower, the one with the Star of David, which is redrawn into a swastika. You know that one, right? Again, I understand why some Israelis might find that repugnant. And again, you reserve the right to find it repugnant if you want. But if somebody thinks the Israelis are behaving like Nazis, well, fair enough, either front up to it and defend it or, or shut the fuck up, I would say. But they're arresting people. It's authoritarianism, isn't it? It's scary, isn't it? And you know what I've noticed in the last four to five weeks? And to be honest, I noticed this even predating October 7th. We've talked about this and I've gotten into it. But I'm really across this because I, I noticed this so much. How many times are you watching a news programme and the item up for discussion might not be Israel, it might not be Palestine, it might not be Ukraine, it could be anything. How often these days do you hear somebody say, that we must choose our language very carefully. We must be very careful when discussing these sensitive subjects. And again, not exclusively Palestine. And I find this to be incredibly insidious. And I'm thinking that, you know, most human beings are capable of tempering their language or of exercising a bit of diplomacy when it's called for. Maybe it's one of the things that makes us human. The ability to be sensitive when we have something to say, you know, to tailor how we say things depending on who we are saying them to. So we do that 
but not at the loss of our point. You know, we, we've learned and evolved to say things in different ways, depending on the person in front of us, without losing the point, without losing the ability to say what it is we want to say. You know, like if I'm speaking to a, a Jewish person who's on holiday um, in the UK, but, uh, or an Israeli who's on holiday in the UK, and we get talking, and I'm asked about what I think about what's going on. I will, I, I can say what it is I want to say without being as blunt as I maybe am in monologues like this when I'm not speaking to an Israeli person who's visiting the UK to see their grandparents. Who I might say to, well, I think it's unlawful. I think it's, it's collective punishment I think it's it's an abomination and that's you've asked me so that's what I think about it is how I would say it but I would find a sensitivity I suppose in discussing it you know because maybe the person I'm speaking to has maybe lost a family member to an attack maybe October 7th maybe another time you see but that's not what this is about this constant this constant call by not just by politicians, but by media people, to start to be sensitive and to be thoughtful about what we are saying. We don't need lectures from politicians or media types on how to express ourselves. We've had 100,000 years of evolution. Like, most of us have a little bit of tact. Most of us use it. So it isn't about that. It's about censorship, is what it's about. And I, I remember some years ago, my friend Hayden Hewitt from live leak fame, he said, you know the tyranny that you and your guests talk about on the programme? It won't necessarily come in the guise of laws passed by governments. It'll be done by corporations and businesses. They will implement and they will run the social credit system. And it's the same with censorship. Like, we think about censorship. We think about the online safety bill and that's a bad thing it's very bad right and it might have very serious implications for the independent media but most people in the world are not in the independent media they're not doing what I'm doing now which is broadcasting a radio program that I've spent most of the day producing they're not in that business you see and they might not have a website they might not have a telegram channel or a, a getter channel there are people who work in the city or they work from home now, most of them, but they work for a company. And the, the censorship, I, I, taking Hayden's point and taking it, taking it a bit further, apart from things like the online safety bill, which, is, which I think is exclusively for content creators. So most people are not content creators. And this is how they will censor those people. They will instill in those people a mode, a mode, right? Um, not a switch, but a mode. They will instill in them a programme of self-censorship by constantly reminding them whatever issue is being discussed and whoever it's being discussed by, on any channel, TV or radio, you've got to be very careful about how you frame your arguments. You've got to think very carefully about how you speak 
and you've got to treat all of these issues with sensitivity. And this is ultimately to bring about self-censorship. You know, to take away from somebody their human right to say, well, look, you've asked me what I think, right? This is what I think. And they, they bring about this change in society, which is a massive change, because we are the generation. I mean, this is, this is brand new, this. This idea that you would... But I'm, not, I'm not saying that people in the past didn't have to mind their P's and Q's, you know, lest they get into a bit of trouble. I'm not saying that. But never on this scale are people walking around thinking, walking on, thinking on eggshells. What do I feel about the situation, let's just say, in Gaza? Well, I believe it's barbaric. I believe it's genocide. I believe it is a holocaust of sorts to destroy an enclave, like wreck it, like it's never been wrecked before. After threatening the people, they must move south and exit the area via the Egyptian border and go to a refugee camp. Do that, and we're going to destroy it once and for all to make it so there's nothing to return to. So asked about that. Well, well, that's it, that's what it is. But but people are inclined not to say that more and more and more. They're inclined not to say what it is they think because of the consequences thereafter. You know, the cancelling, they're being called into an office. We've heard, we've read these stories. In recent weeks, we've read these stories. If we stay with the Gaza situation, we've read these stories where people have been called into their place of work to account for something they said on social media. The most insidious form of censorship, self-censorship. And I believe that whoever or whatever is behind the agendas we talk about, they are betting the farm on this. On not needing to introduce legislation, which will be obvious, and will be incredibly obvious, and, and will be resisted. Because if you legislate for stuff, right, if you co constantly legislate and say, you can't say this, you can't say that, you must not go here, you must not go there. Well, the game would be up. I think more people would resist it. But if you do it subtly, and you remind people constantly of their responsibility to be very, very careful about how you say what it is you want to say, that promotes a collective kind of form of self It imposes a collective form of self-censorship. And I used to joke with friends of mine several years ago that eventually conversations, particularly amongst strangers or people who are not so familiar with one another, will take forever with lengthy pauses, bookending the conversations. Bookending. Lengthy pauses. What do you think of that? Pause. Think. What do I say? What is appropriate to say? How do I get myself out of this? Instead of saying what it is you want to say, which is a fundamental human right. Your right to say. It's like I've had it from uh, one or two Jewish people, one or two people I know. Uh, you're a bit strong there, Richie. Well, well, it's how I feel about it. What do you want me to do? Say nothing. Right? Now, if you want to come on with me and have a go at me and tell me you disagree with me and we can have a back and forth, fair enough, brilliant, fantastic, we might get somewhere, we might get something out of it. But don't fucking tell me not to say what it is I am thinking. But that's where we're going now. 
self-censorship. For the independent media, they will legislate, they are legislating, they will eventually, I know I've been banging this drum now for, I don't know how many years I've been banging this bloody drum, how many years have I been banging it? Many years, right? The drum of Ofcom is eventually going to tell me, and people like me, there aren't too many people like me, in terms of there aren't many shows like this, there aren't really any shows like this, they're going to say, right, we're, you are coming in from the cold, you will be regulated by us. That's how they will deal with the independent media. They will legislate, they are. But for wider society, they won't legislate. They will impose this self-censorship through, through punishing others, as we've seen in the last two, three, four years, where people lose jobs or lose bank accounts. You know, as as has happened here, because of opinions expressed and, and whatnot. You know what you know what I'm saying in any case. It's uh, twenty minutes to the top of the hour, but it's a wicked thing. It's very wicked. It's the only term I can think of appropriate to describe it. It's wicked to impose upon people a fear of expressing themselves. It is wicked, isn't it? I never had a problem as an adult, as a journalist, with somebody vocalizing an opinion that I found either stupid or offensive. I had no problem with it. None. It's your right to think like that and to say what it is you are saying. But if you just allow me, let me tell you why I disagree with you and we can have a chat about it and it'll be interesting and it'll stimulate our brains. But no. And this is one of the reasons why the long-form interview has all but disappeared from the mainstream media. I mean, ask yourself. When your neighbours are speaking with you and they don't understand any of this, ask them, what happened to the Parkinson-type shows? What happened to the Dick Cavett-type shows? Where two, three, four people would come onto a panel for 45 minutes or an hour. No holds barred. You tell me what you think and why, and I'll tell you why I think you're wrong. Where's it gone, that? Why are we not seeing programmes now with Israelis and Palestinians and people on the left and people on the right, sitting down. It would be brilliantly informative as well as entertaining. Right? Fuck Piers Morgan and goons like that, but a proper moderator. Listen, this began in 1948, didn't it? The Nakba. What say you? And give time to it. Let everybody have a say. Let the audience get involved. This is how it was for many years. It's gone now. Again, I believe part of that self-censorship agenda. Reduce everything into a few simple sound bites, right? And then you either have the right sound bites or the wrong ones. There's no room for nuance or context. There's nothing in between. You either are, are on the right side of it or on the wrong side of it. And the wrong side of it can be, comp- can be, can be problematic. Right, it could be problematic for you in terms of what you want to do, where you want to go, what job you want to do, and, and what have you. Right, I'm going to shut up. That's um, that's that for me for now. Uh, we'll get Dean Henderson on. Um, after this, from Steve Harley and Cockney Rebel. That's the one. Come on, Steve. The Richie Allen Show, Wednesday's programme. Good to be back with you, so it is. You've done it all. Yeah, music from Steve Harley and Cockney Rebel on the Richie Allen Show, Wednesday's programme. It's exactly, well, it's uh, nearly 16 minutes to 14 minutes even uh, to the top of the hour. 
Got to learn to count. The boys got to learn to count. Delighted to welcome back to the programme a brilliant author, researcher and broadcaster. It's our great friend. Late substitution today. I'm really grateful to him. Um, let's welcome back our friend Dean Henderson. Good evening, Dean. Hey, hey, Richie. How you doing? I'm doing really well, pal. And thanks for jumping in with two feet late. Late, late substitution off the bench. I threw a Hail Mary pass. You leapt like a salmon out of the, I don't know, Lake Michigan. There's no salmon in Lake I Michigan. I'd probably get a six-rounder and a player to be named later, you know, for me, dude. But, no, it's no problem. <laughs> Brilliant, buddy. Thanks for coming on. There's so much I want to get into. Obviously, we'll, we'll touch on what's happening in Gaza. Not exclusively, though, because I think there's... I, I, I don't want to say fatigue on the part of our listeners, but a little bit of helplessness as well because there doesn't seem to be an awful lot we can do about it, but we, we'll, we'll definitely talk about it because it's so so very important. Um, but I do want to... I heard a comedian whose name escapes me who said something hilarious recently. He said that it looks like they've already got some formaldehyde in Joe Biden, your president. Now, when I heard that, I spent about 10 minutes laughing because it's it's true. The guy is one foot from the grave What's happening there, do you understand? Is, is, is this a constitutional thing? Is there a protocol for when POTUS or the president, the commander-in-chief, when he's obviously not fit to carry out his duties, what the hell is supposed to happen and why is this man... I mean, whatever he is, I mean, he might be evil incarnate, but he's a human being, he's an old bloke with dementia and he can barely put one foot in front of the other. He doesn't know where he is. What's going on, Dee? Well, exactly, and I've never, you know, I I became a Palestinian, supporter of the Palestinian cause in, let's see, 1985, South Dakota State University, where I went at first uh, for my undergrad. Met a bunch of Palestinian agricultural engineers, because SDSU is a good ag engineering school here in the Corn Belt, whatever, and they were just the nicest people I ever Matt, and, you know, I started protesting with them against the Israeli occupation and also against the apartheid in South Africa at that time. And that's really where I cut my teeth on politics. You know, I was just a farm boy, a jock, a nobody from nowhere, middle of nowhere, didn't know anything about anything. And those guys really taught me a lot. And uh, so, you know, I've never heard in, in, my, in the whole time that I've been a supporter of the cause and, a, and an opponent of the illegal state of Israel, like you say, nothing with Jews, illegal state of Israel, that's what it is. Um, I mean, that's been, what, 40 years. And I've never in my lifetime, and that includes Reagan and Bush and Bush Jr. and a lot of bad people that ran this country, but I've never heard a U.S. president talk in such a one-sided fashion about this conflict. And that's what's the most disturbing to me, along with the civil rights and constitutional and free speech infringements that that are going on, as you mentioned in your in your intro. And what it's done is it's turned, you know, huge sections of the world uh, against the United States and and the West. And uh, but especially the United States in this case, because there's no debate in this country, there's no Palestinian point of view. Every all the channels, no matter if they claim to be conservative or liberal or whatever, they're all just interviewing IDF propaganda experts. And I've just never seen a president this one-sided. So the world's turned away. 
one example, Colombia, which is, you know, probably the only U.S. ally in Latin America at this point, really, um, has, you know, kicked out or I think withdrew their ambassador from Israel um, because the guy, you might have heard about this, but um, their ambassador. So so the Colombian foreign minister made a comment. So, well, you know, we, we know you created Hamas in Fodanum back in the 80s and um, and this kind of thing. And the and Israeli foreign minister or ambassador came back and said, well, yeah, not only do we fund Hamas, but we also sponsor those people in Saudi Arabia running that country wearing turbans. You know, ha, ha, ha. Or maybe not. Maybe he was just letting the cat out of the bag. But they threw him out. And, and you're seeing this across the world where U.S. allies, some of the few we have left because of our foreign policy for the last, you know, 50 years or whatever, are, are, are now just turning their backs on us. And so we've already iced out Russia. We've, we've pretty much turned Russia into this pariah state and declared that we're enemies of Russia. You know, there's no more uh, playing around. There's no more pretending. It's not even a Cold War. It's worse because we've now de- we've declared Russia an enemy, and so it's a hot war. And so here we are fighting two wars on two fronts, and it just, to me, looks like the... You know, the people in charge who, you know, Biden, you know, again, his couple of his great, great uncles worked for the East India Company. So he's connected to the bloodline, the crown, you know, and and these people who control him seem to be angling once again for the destruction of the United States and probably the destruction of Israel because as well. I mean, in, in addition, of course, to the obvious carnage against the Palestinian people, because it's it's part of the agenda. I mean, you're going to see. You know, things people talk about this third temple, and wouldn't it be convenient if there was a you know if a false flag operation at the Al Aqsa Mosque, for example, or something like this? And uh, oh, we have to build a third temple, and you know, people that say like Jordan Maxwell and a lot of others, Jim Mars, Tex Mars, saying that this is going to be the you know global capital for the new world order. You know, it's going to be in Israel, probably Jerusalem, and then you got you know the whole <laughs> false messiah. Um, the Antichrist, whatever you want to call it. I call him Prince William, <laughs> the guy with the elongated skull, that guy. Um, so there's a lot more going on here than just Israel and Palestine. I mean, this is this is not just about the struggle of the Palestinians against Israel. This is about the world's last, I would argue, indigenous people who, you know, this is just the latest colonial settler project, okay? So, um, you know, we did the same in this country to Native Americans, or they did the same, I should say. And they did the same thing to indigenous people all over the world. But the Gaza-Palestinian issue, West Bank, this the whole Palestinian issue is the most recent, right? It's 70, 75 years old. So it's the most raw, too. So it, it really gets people's emotions up. And um, But this is really, to me, a battle of the last, world's last indigenous people and their supporters. So they're real human beings, in other words, against the bloodline, against the Anunnaki crown that is trying to take us over and, and almost there. And so it's serious and it's, and it's serious and, and you, you have to pick sides here. I'm sorry. I mean, Hamas, whatever created by the, you know, by, by the Mossad funded by the Saudis, Palestinians. No, we don't like them. We like popular front for liberation of Palestine. We like, you know, uh, Arafat's PLO. Why? Because they were more leftist, socialist, progressive, um, militant groups. And Hamas was always the right-wing reactionary group. 
Why did they Just vote like them in, Dean? Sorry, sorry to interrupt you, my friend. Why then did the Palestinians vote Hamas in? Mm-hmm. Excellent question. Because I mean, they had to. <laughs> because the Israelis assassinated Arafat right on the eve of the Oslo, or shortly after the Oslo Accords fell apart because they were sabotaged by the Israeli right wing and the Zionists mainly. Again, Zionism means to graft. It has nothing to do with Jews. It has nothing to do with anything. Just world domination and the grafting of the bloodline onto the human bloodline. And so, yeah, I mean, basically, they had no choice. <laughs> there was nothing left. And Fatah, with, you know, the PLO kind of changed its name to Fatah, but it really, it got bought out. It got, it got, you know, it was doing nothing for the Palestinians. And they got frustrated. So what choice did they have? Um, are they going to sit on their hands and continue to be starved out, continue to die of malnutrition, continue uh, seeing their entire Gaza uh, little enclave that they were proportioned and and this just destroyed or, you know, and just, oh, yeah, let's go to the U.N. and make another resolution and, and watch the U.S. and the U.K. veto it. Um, and every other country vote for it, by the way, because there's, you know, Israel, Indonesia doesn't allow Israelis in. You know, Malaysia doesn't allow Israelis in. They don't recognize Israel as a state. And people have to remember how many countries there are out there that don't even recognize Israel. So most of the world knows what's up. But they sabotaged it, so they elected the elected Hamas, yeah, 2007. Um, they've been there ever since. And to say the Palestinians at this point and, and Hamas are separate, I think it's a mistake. I think it's a convenient uh, luxury of people that eat too much and have too much in their storage units and don't understand what it is to starve and to fight and to struggle against racism where you have to, you know, there's different laws for the Palestinians. There's different, you know, they're just racist. Okay. Well, these people, whoever they are, and I'd say they're the Babylonian Radonites, bankers, um, Stulis, the Hafjudin, um, they're not the Ethiopian Israelites that got thrown out, the black people, which, if anything, Jesus was that, okay? And that's why the Coptic Christian Bible in Ethiopia is your best, re- you know, if you want to be a Christian, you read that one. Because it ain't what you think. It ain't what King James told you. Tell, tell me okay? more about that. Hang on, this is brilliant. You know we have time. Thanks for coming back on, by the way. Dean Henderson, you're listening to Dean. Yeah. And you might think, you know, I just rudely interrupted Dean there. I didn't. Let's stay with that. The Coptic Christian Bible, Ethiopia. You said, forget about the King James Bible. Now, remember you're talking to an idiot. I'm not being modest. I am an idiot because I have no... I have no... Um, when it comes to religion, I have... My, my knowledge is... is I, it's not there. I haven't a clue. So take me through it like I'm a child. What do you mean by that? Well, well first of all, you are modest because you're an Irishman and I really appreciate that. <laughs> well, yeah. But, uh, no, I mean, there's just... Uh, Look, the Israelites that were thrown out of that area and enslaved to build the pyramids were were were, were black, and they were exiled to Ethiopia. And this is the basis of the whole Rastafari religion, actually, and um, and it's the the most pure Bible because it was it's in Aramaic. Aramaic is the language in Ethiopia, and um, so everything after that. You know, it started at the Council of Nicaea, 225 A.D. So Peter, who Jesus said, let's build the church. Oh, my, my rock is Peter. He, he said, go start the church. And Peter goes to Turkey, and uh, he starts kind of a hippie commune. 
out in the desert with just tents and shacks and simple living and go go fish, go hunt, you know, still trying to retain that hunting and gathering way that they knew, I'm convinced, was imposed, taken away from us by these by this Anunnaki crown that killed Jesus, the Habsburg uh, spirit destiny, still in the Habsburg's castle in Belgium, given to Klaus Schwab, most recently given to Hitler before that, as a power source for evil, satanic, Luciferian evil. But the Ethiopians, that's why, if you listen to Bob Marley or Peter Tosh, who are my favorites, because they're the roots reggae, they tell the truth. Peter, Peter especially was a very spiritual uh, person. And if you listen to, you know, he talks about how the white people brought mosquitoes because <laughs> they were they were filthy, you know, and, and these people live clean, and they still do. If you go to the third world countries, um, they live clean, man. They live simple, but they're way cleaner than us. We're pigs because, again, we're, we're just spoiled. We live in this empire. Yeah, if you watch so the news now, if you watch the evening news, that isn't the impression you get. You get the impression of, you know, lack of sanitation, children running around, you know, unkempt or, or dirty. Yeah. Is that deliberate, right. do you think? Of course. And you go to Africa, they'll tell you that. I remember being in Zimbabwe and I think Botswana too, and they and they told me, they were like, we're so tired of, you know, the Western media portraying us as these poor people that live in squalor and can't fend for themselves and need aid. And, and, and yeah, you go to Botswana, there's a huge middle class. You go to Zimbabwe, well, yeah, they're all hurting because the United States, you know, bankrupted their country. Well, the, the the city of London bankrupted their country when they devalue, they keep devaluing their currency because they don't like the leftist revolutionary government of Mugabe and the people who have followed him. And they're still revolutionaries. Sound the PF people that overthrew Cecil Rhodes. You got to remember, um, you know, and, and, and took control of their diamonds, took control of the uranium, took control of, the, you know, everything. And Peter Tosh sings about that. You know, we got to fight, 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 fight against apartheid. And I mean, it's just a long history. And, you know, we don't frankly understand it because we don't, well, we haven't been exposed to it. And yes, it is deliberate that we're not exposed to it. And yes, it is deliberate that, you know, we're always spoon fed this media that somehow makes us feel a little bit, you know, better than these poor people. And why? Because divide and conquer. That's why, because they have to keep the middle class sort of loathing the, the, the poor, or at the very least, feeling sorry for them in this very condescending way, which is really also loathing. And then sucking up to the rich, you know, licking their boots sweeping their porch, taking care of them, wiping their ass. They literally wiped the ass of kings and queens. Not, what, not very yeah, long ago. Yeah, yeah. They had people that did that. So, I mean, yeah, it's deliberate, and, and um, it's part of the colonial mindset, you know? You know, can but, I just uh, jump in there, Dean? You, you, sure. you, you invoked um, the the name of our former great friend, God of Mercy on him, Jim Mars, um, somebody we both loved. Jim told me many years ago when I was doing a radio gig in Spain, Jim said to me, and at the time I was only getting used to people like Jim, so I was very confrontational in these interviews. Jim said to me, he said, Live Aid and the whole Bob Geldof thing was a massive psyop, he said. A huge psyop. Now, I won't tell you what Jim told me. Explain what Jim meant. Why was Live Aid? Where, we, 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 I remember 1983, 1984. I was a child living in Ballybeg in Waterford. And I, look, I'm not virtue signalling here. I was traumatised by seeing the photographs and the videos of children so emaciated. You could see every bone through their skin. And we were being told that these poor people, God love them. 
you know, not because of yeah. their own fault. Me there's too. a famine. What happened? What was really going on there? No, me too. I was I was young, and I you know, and I, I it definitely hurt my heart too. And it should it should hurt your heart to see that because there was serious famine at that time in Ethiopia and other places. And and hey, a lot of the people that take part in live aid, most of the people, most of the most of the musicians, because Peter Tosh took part in that, and um, although it wasn't mentioned much, um, you know, are good people. But it's the organization, the organize. It's just, it's just even the people that organize are good people. It's not that they're not good people. They just don't understand the nature of reality because they don't travel because they're they're lied to by the news every night and told they're better than brown and black people subconsciously, so they don't even realize they're being told it. Um, and a whole lot of other things that they're being told that they don't recognize are being told. And mainly, mainly bow down to authority, serve the rich, hate the poor, um, or at least feel sorry for them, and send them send them aid to United Way, which in the United States that's a big charity and it's totally corrupt. It's totally corporate. Um, look, we don't need charity in a in a just society. I've always said that, and that's where I want to get. You know, I'm not interested in charity. I'm not interested in crumbs from the crown's table. I'm interested in a complete overthrow of the crown and the whole order behind it and an egalitarian society, which is why I'm a revolutionary. I'm a revolutionary leftist, decidedly. And we're not going to win this by privatizing more public libraries and national parks and, you know, uh, you know government health care bad, uh, Pfizer health care good, I guess, or whatever. Um, stupidity. Just so much stupidity in this world, and it's not our fault, okay, but you know my view on it, as you know, is eighty five hundred years ago we were intervened by aliens by Anunnaki and the whole Sumerian thing and and on the seamless transition into Egypt to become the conehead pharaohs and then into Babylon and then into the Holy Roman Empire, corrupted the Catholic Church at the Council of Nicaea, as I was talking about earlier, where Pope or it was Constantine the Great brought that together. And he was a Habsburg. If you had to say the name of the one bloodline, and it is one bloodline, then it's Habsburg probably. It's the best, most recent name we know. But they burned down the Alexander Library, so the names before that, which were probably in a, in a uh, Semitic language, because actually Semitic means a family of languages that suddenly appeared in the world about seven, they say seven, but probably 8,000 years ago, that nobody could understand. <laughs> that nobody can understand. And um, and that's how the Anunnaki fooled everyone, forced us into agriculture, not just in Samaria, but simultaneously in Mexico, Central America, India, Indus Valley, China, uh, all over. And then the domestication of animals, exactly the same time, everywhere. And then all the temples that came up at Angkor Wat, at Tikal, at Chichen Itza, at the pyramids, at, everywhere. The at same the time, same everywhere. time. And this is the thing, because yeah. when, when we first it's spoke about this years ago, I, you know, I must have pissed you off. I kept jumping in and I kept saying to you, you know, this can't be right like that. Anunnaki came here. But it is, and do you know, I'm listening to you today. I've been listening to a bit of um, the Joe Rogan podcast while I'm out running. And um, what I, I don't care what anybody else thinks about Joe Rogan. I enjoy the long form interview. So he's he's branching out into the esoteric and he's had one or two people yeah. on. And I think... Um, it would be a great missed opportunity if he didn't. Um, I don't know anybody who works with him, but I'm going to recommend yeah. that he gets you on that, that podcast because. And I appreciate it. Is, I don't know how to get a hold of him. I've tried, but I yeah, don't know how. But this I, is I right like up his street. 
Yeah, we kind of have the same working class demeanor, like you. Yeah. That's why, we, you know, you, you meet rich people, they never get it, right? I mean, yeah. okay, they can try to, you know, whatever, but the, the work, the, the the ruling class doesn't want what I'm talking about. No. And so they don't, they're never going to tell the whole truth. And tell the us working the, class people. Of like course us, not. We get it. I, I, look, we'll, we'll, we'll make it happen amongst our listeners. We'll at least get an introduction because I've read your books, I know... You're listening to Dean Henderson, by the way, folks. Big Oil and their bankers in the Persian Gulf. Read Royal Bloodline, Wetico, and The Great Remembering. Illuminati, Agenda 21, Nephilim Crown, 5G Apocalypse. Get online and buy one of Dean's books. They're brilliantly written. I mean, they really are. And he, he, what, what you heard him say, if this is new to you, you might think, Jesus, Richie has given Dean a pass there. He should be jumping down his throat about the Anunnaki. No, go and read it. It's amazing. It's so interesting. And the reason why I invoked uh, the name of Rogan, Rogan had Graham Hancock on. Now, some people think Hancock is a shill. I don't know. But Hancock is convinced that 11,500 years ago, there was another interstellar explosion or some comet or something hit the Earth. And I wonder, because you and I have talked about this before, is that possible? And did that have something to do with what happened then shortly thereafter, eight and a half thousand years ago? What, what do you, that's really what, interesting. What's that called? No, I, that. That's really, I, I mean, I forgot Graham Hancock, and at some level, I do wonder if he's not one of the guys that's sort of, you know, bringing out some of the information. Because they are, they are going into that mode where they're just telling us who they are slowly. But I don't know, who cares? I could be wrong. No, but can I just? It's really interesting. It's really interesting. Before I shut up now and let you carry on, uh, it's it, it's the younger Dryas impact hypothesis. That's what. Okay, it is. that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that now. Yeah, and that was eleven five. See, it's the dates. Yeah, yeah. So interesting. So you know, they, we're talking eighty five hundred. So yeah, who knows? I mean, and and nobody. It's not all one hundred percent. You know, they've proven carbon dating is off and all this stuff. You know, so it's close anyway. And maybe there was a cataclysm, and maybe you know these people had, or these aliens or whatever had to come here. Had to come here. They said it was, you know, the, the tablets supposedly, according to Sitchin, say that they came to mine gold, you know, to fix their ozone. Yeah. That's it with gold flecking, which apparently NASA has done here on Earth as well. And we had an ozone problem because you don't hear about that anymore. And that's how they did it. But um, but it's just yeah. I mean and. and the thing is, people just need to check into it, and and they are, and they are checking into it. But but the whole thing is, yeah, the whole this whole this is a long game, right? So, you know, get Ukraine, bog, get Russia bogged down in Ukraine, maybe, because you knew you were going to do this Middle East thing, maybe. But it's just a matter of are these people going to succeed or not? And that's to me, it's down to that. I've I'm done with. Uh, I mean, I know I know enough to know that it's good versus evil, and. You know, if you want to call evil Anunnaki or Nephilim or Archons or Matiko or Windigo or Witko, like as the name Americans had those words, or uh, or AI or AI, yeah, because it, these things are to me they're synonymous. Like the AI is is a demon. There's demons coming out of the computers, the phones, the and I don't mean you know I'm not like, woo. I'm just like demon to me is deception. People that, you know, things, entities, whatever, that just deceive you and lie as to the nature of reality and as to the nature of yourself, which are the same thing. And we don't understand like the Indians do, the native people do. I'm sure the Palestinians 
elders do that that we're all connected that it's a circular reality not a linear reality that involves relationships along the way that that necessitate reciprocity and that's not just your you know your mom and dad and your kids and your wife and no it's not just the extended family it's it's the whole human family but it's not just the human family either it's the animals that were given to us the plants that were put here by some powerful force that was benevolent name it what you want none of my business but you, i mean to not be able to look out and acknowledge that or eat every day off your table and acknowledge that wow there's this food there's this stuff there's this yeah. and then if you go beyond that and start going out and talking to the deer and talking to the turkeys and talking to the everything talking to your cat talking to your dog they understand they're not stupid we're stupid we're stupid that we don't understand they understand we're that stupid we're that dumbed down and bent over and and we don't have faith faith in what faith in good faith in the good thing that created us and in our ability to jive with that and be a part of that and not come into conflict with it and that's what all the luciferians do they come into conflict with nature Oh, this isn't good enough. Let's make a compound out of an element. Oh, this isn't good enough. Let's, you know, mess with this proton, this neutron, and, and make toxic chemicals that can... I mean, every step, of the, let's make a bomb that blows up. This atom isn't good enough. Um, you're not good enough. You need toothpaste, cause you, and you need deodorant, because your armpits stick. You're not good enough. Um, everything's not good enough. Because why? Because they're in rebellion against creation. Wakan Tanka is my my word it, it just means the great mystery and it's the coda tradition some of the latest contacted people on this earth about 1850 until they even seen white people amazing and they all these laws of nature and we don't that's the that's the crux of it dean henderson is our guest just to pick you up on something you said you said these beautiful things these plants these animals that were put here by by something benevolent so look i've got to ask then do you, do you believe or do you consider that the benevolent being might be the creator, might be the father or the mother or whatever of of um, of everything? You know, the the one who began it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I'm a mono, I'm a monotheist because Wakantanka means the great mystery. So it doesn't put a it doesn't assign a gender, it doesn't assign a color, it doesn't assign even a human form. It's just it's a it's a humble way of looking at it like hey i don't know <laughs> i don't understand i at all i'm just very grateful and every time i shoot a deer and hunt it i'm going to thank that deer and every time i pick a plant out of my garden i'm going to thank that plant or, or a berry off a wild bush i'm going to thank that bush if a bird tells me the bad weather's coming i'm going to thank that bird you know and then you start getting things happening in your life that are just amazing you'll see and changes life good you mean you, you'll notice changes? Yeah, is that right? So you, so so you adopt this not a philosophy, but you begin to become more aware of everything it is around you, and you engage with it energetically. You connect with it yep. energetically. You're thankful. You give praise for the things mm. you see and the things you have, and this is going to improve your situation. You reckon? Can I put it like that? Absolutely, and it's it's a guaranteed 100 percent certainty because it's the nature of reality. It's science. This is science we're talking about. This is instant karma science where, you know, and you just one foot ahead of the next. And if you're a shitheel and you're a trillionaire and you're a Rothschild and you're raping babies, you're a miserable fuck. Just that simple. And if you're people that are trying to change the world, my experience when I, when I you know, throughout the years I've quit being an activist, throughout the 40 years I have been, there's been lulls where I just kind of 
set it aside. I'm tired of it. It's never going to change. Da, da, da. And shitty, shitty life, <laughs> shitty life, because that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to do that. And when I'm not doing that, I'm not. And then when I am doing that, just things come my way in just this unbelievable way. And I know, you know, what I'm talking about rich, cause I know yeah. they come to you too, because of all the good things that you do. And I mean that. And, um, so you can you can butt your head against the wall like the Luciferians. Oh, God's not good enough. I'm I don't have this. I'm, or you can go, wow, you know, thank you for another day. I woke up. Holy shit, I woke up another day. You know, um, so that that's what's lacking with these Wetikos. And Wetiko again in the title of my last book means not just cannibal, but cannibal of your soul. You know, you've been around you've been around these people a little faith, and they're mean, and they drink too much. And they're always like first strike people that, you know, they're never given, they're always taken and they just suck your energy and, you know, your shit doesn't count, but theirs, I'll t they'll tell you all about it. And, you know what I mean? And, and, uh, and sadly, that's a lot of people now. Energy vampires. And, energy vampires. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, yeah, energy vampires. And then, and then, oh, they get fired from their job or their husband starts drinking and it's bad things start happening. And you know what I mean? And you just start noticing that. But it's all about paying attention. In the end, it's so damn simple. It's just pay attention. All it is is pay attention. Quit having these preconceived notions about, you know, the animals and the plants and how they are because the Royal Society told you they were that way because that's what they've done. And just observe like the Indians did and then make your inference and your conclusion the best you can. And that's called science. And that's why the Indians were the real scientists and Fauci and these white coats and all the everybody, all these so-called scientists nowadays. Not all of them. There's a new science emerging that recognizes everything I'm talking about here. But 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 the, that's just that's that's the past, and that's Switiko, and that's about control and authoritarianism. And the the main thing they do is they teach people to bow down to authority the minute they're born. And, yeah, um, and the only authority is Wakatanka for me. So it's it's between me and the great mystery, and and you know. No, I think it'll happen. Um, we, oh we, um, I wanted to pick you up on something you said earlier on, but then you were in a good flow, so I didn't want to, to stop you. Dean Henderson is our guest. I've mentioned Dean's books. I'll put some links on uh, the podcast notes a bit later on. Dean came in as a late substitution today, as always. Um, fantastic to have him on the programme. Tell me this. You mentioned earlier. I mean, I, I mentioned in my monologue, I don't have the knowledge. It's me just guessing. I, I think we're in a series of perma crises and these crises are engineered, including what's happening in Gaza, even though these are real people who are being murdered, including the Israelis uh, who were murdered, of course. Everybody who um, was murdered had a life and they deserved their life and they didn't deserve to have it taken away from them, regardless. But um, we... We see these crises, and I, I believe they are designed to affect a change in the thinking of people globally so that we will accept what's on the table. We will accept the dystopian future they want to build. Now, we've talked about this for years. Now, you threw in today, and i got to take you up on this because his mother was ritually sacrificed. And I remember this vividly because the morning Princess Diana was murdered, I was woken up to be told she was murdered, but I was getting up early anyway, to go to Dublin to watch a rock concert um, from Waterford. So I remember this very vividly. And um, I remember that, you know, people who I knew, I knew really good people, and they really loved this woman, Diana. I just thought she was, you know, a privileged um, class princess, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so she has these sons. And of course, they had to be subjected to their mother being killed in this way. 
Uh, right, they might be privileged little bastards, maybe they are, but a terrible thing happened to them and they had a terrible uh, grandfather, a terrible grandfather. And their father is yeah. is a paedophile lover. I don't care what anybody says. Right, this guy has no problems with pedophilia. And you think William, who's the next king in waiting, the heir to the throne, you think he's some central player in the things to come. Why? Why do you think that? Well, the main reason I think that is because Diane had an affair with King Juan Carlos in Spain. And there's books written about this, whole books. Um, in Spain, I believe in France, in the UK, the Globe and Mail wrote about it. Not that I didn't confirm it, but there was a lot of, yeah. And there's people that are, probably have confirmed I haven't read the books. But my sense, and they say, and if it's true, and I, I believe it is true because that's the way the bloodline is. They do, you know, when they have affairs, it means a eugenics project. It doesn't mean love. It doesn't mean that these people aren't even capable of love. I mean, they, they don't have it anymore. Um, they've done so much evil, and their hearts are black, and it, I feel sorry for them mainly. But um, until they start killing us, and then I want to fucking kill them, sorry. But anyway, um, she had an affair with Juan Carlos, um, and so that's, you're talking Bourbon blood, you're talking Habsburg blood, Frank blood, Merovingian blood there in the Bourbon family, um, which is, by the way, where bourbon comes from, because <laughs> the, 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 the bloodline is behind almost all alcohol. They want us to drink a lot of alcohol, obviously, as well as fentanyl and stuff. But um, I digress. Um, so, yeah, so William apparently is the result of that affair. And then Diana, she's got Sinclair blood or St. Clair. She's got Stuart blood. Apparently she has Merovingian blood as well. And um, it's a powerful, you know. So I think what's happening is they did a thing in Normandy in the 1500s, out of which William the Conqueror came and eventually took over the UK for the for the Masons and for the bloodline and for the city of London banksters, Red Knight bankers from Babylon. Um, and they did the eugenics thing in Normandy, and that's why the, the, the royals apparently have Rh-negative blood, and that's very rare. And there's also people in the northern Spain region, the Basque region, and the southern France region, Normandy, that also have Rh-negative blood. That's the only people in the world where there's a, where's a bunch of it. <laughs> so they did this eugenics thing, then every once in a while they do that. They they reinforce the Anunnaki blood, the the Sangreal, you know, the 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 uh, the blue blood, the blue blood. Apparently it's tinged a little different, um, and and they reinforce it. And if it, you know, and, and really honestly, like I said, it's all about paying attention. So just look at William and just tell me he doesn't have an elongated skull. I mean, a fucking second grader could tell you that. But we're so stupid we won't acknowledge it. Well, why? Because we don't know the history. We don't know the reality. We don't know what. But just look at him, and he's bald at age 12 or whatever. Uh, nothing about being bald, but, I mean, the kid was came out of his mom bald, so that's weird. So, and he's an asshole. I mean, he's a total asshole, and he hides behind environmental causes and whatever he's doing with his awards. And I mean, and he's a dick, and, and I think even Harry tells you he's a dick. And Harry was apparently who, you know, whatever, he's still got bad blood, but he, at least he's got some sense. And married a black woman and he you know he he's apparently the result of diana's affair with her taxi driver cab what do we call it chauffeur her chauffeur yeah and that's what i hear and and it makes sense to me um well it was rumored so, hang on hang on it was rumored for years that uh, former army captain i think captain maybe he was a major uh, major i think james hewitt the red-headed guy um, who, who was into polo yeah. Uh, and stuff. Yeah, but here's a funny thing, right? Oh. 
apparently Diana's affair with, with this guy Hewitt, the dates don't add up when it comes to saying that he's the father. Now, now the reason I say this, a few years ago, as you know, I lived and worked in Spain. And by an amazing coincidence, I worked at Talk Radio Europe. And Hewitt was, um, he had a gig basically as one of those, um, he, he, had a, he had a piece of a restaurant. I sound like an Italian gangster now. He had a piece of a restaurant, <laughs> right? He had a, piece, he had a piece of a restaurant, Dean, right? And his, his job was basically to walk around and impress the diners and stop at the tables and hi I'm James Hewitt I had an affair with Diana kind of a thing you know what what telly ho but he he came into talk radio Europe and he'd done a couple of interviews and I said to him will you come on my evening show and he said no problems I said I am going to ask you about Diana and he said no you can't because if you do Richie he said I'll leave the studio and I said fair enough I don't want the interview then really because that's the only thing I'm bloody interested in. I couldn't give a shit about polo, you know, or any of that nonsense. But um, anyway, he said to me, look, he said to me, look, he said, um, save yourself the bother. He said, I had an affair with Diana, but the kid is not my kid. Now, that being said, when you look at those two feckers in profile, if you look at photographs of them in profile, we have a saying in Ireland, and you've heard the saying before, Harry is the spit out of your man's mouth. He is the spit out of his mouth. I mean, he looks so much like him in profile. So I don't know if that's true or not. But it is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, who knows? But, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, and that's, <coughs> that's, I think, where they want to take it. And, again, I mean, you know, I, I've been seeing it more and more. And, again, it's one of those things that if you don't understand history and, the, and there's this bloodline, you know, basically farming us, torturing us, killing us, taking our stuff, if you don't understand that, you won't see it. But, like, for example, last week, this gal at the Pentagon came out, and she's a spokesman of the Pentagon, rationalizing, you know, the genocide of 10,000 people. Oh, we don't believe the Palestinians uh, really don't. <laughs> That's how one-sided and, and insulting they've been to the Palestinians, Biden, uh, the good Democrat Biden, right? And so, uh, and he's had a little resistance in the Democratic Party, but not much. But Rashida Tlaib... Uh, you know, AOC, the squad, and then Bernie Sanders, and that's about it. It's pretty sad. Um, but anyway... And it's um, even weak. It's not even proper criticism. Like, even um, RFK yeah, Jr., everybody got excited about yeah. RFK Jr. Now, look, I, I don't want yeah. to knock RFK Jr. He's done yeah. some bloody good work on, on jabs. But he shouldn't be saying Israel has a right to defend itself. Of course no. Israel does, but this isn't defending itself. This is mass murder. Is what it is. No. I mean, they, they could have defended themselves on October seventh, but they went missing for six hours, the mysterious yeah, six hours. You know, right. we could talk about yeah, that. You know, but um, they yeah, had the sure. opportunity to defend themselves, but they chose not to for some reason. Maybe, maybe I'm talking exactly. out of turn here. But uh, yeah. hey, listen, before we go any further, and I'm sorry to again interrupt your train of thought, but one of our listeners called Paul. He has a bone to pick with you. He says, Richie, what Dean said about Malaysia and Indonesia not letting people into the country with an Israeli passport is wrong. It's a lie, says Paul. Ask Dean for evidence. Now, I must have misheard you because I, I don't think you I, said I'll that, just, did you? I'll just answer that real quick. I've been to Malaysia like eight times, and there's a sign at the border that says no Israelis. <laughs> so it's not a lie. So I, I don't know where he's getting his information or if he's been there, but that's true. And, you know, I guess you get Wikipedia it. They might lie, but... No, no, funnily enough, I obviously, as I'm speaking lie. to you, because I'm multitask, you know, I'm the multitask specialist here, so I've looked Unless it up... Unless they changed it. They might have changed it. I mean, you know, 
they no, no, I'm not gonna. There, and they uh, might have changed it. They might have normalized. So, okay, in that case, my bad. This but is no, no, changed, no, no. This, 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 this isn't a gotcha moment. I don't do gotcha moments. No, I know, I know. I ain't worried about. No, it. I've looked it up. I've looked it up. Trying um, to get the facts. Yeah, no, no. There's some truth in what you're saying because Malaysia, back before the whole COVID scam began, they did ban Israelis participating in any event that was hosted by the country and they barred athletes from attending and but there's, an, there's another weird story that the Malaysian government allows Christians to visit Israel for religious purposes but if, from 2009 Malaysians are completely discouraged from going to uh, Palestine but this is because of the security risks posed by the conflict so there's some truth in this there's definitely they're not on great diplomatic terms, Dean, to be fair to you, but no, that, that's, yeah, it's the interesting. that's the bigger point. And, you know, there might be some, some things, yeah, that are different or whatever, but the point is they don't like them, <laughs> and, and they never have. And, and Indonesia is the same way. There's a lot of African countries, uh, Sudan, I think, uh, Chad, um, a lot of the Islamic North African countries, you know, and uh, who are just it's just support for Palestine. I mean, there's a there's a the other point, the bigger point, instead of the minutia, which people love to pick at, whatever. <laughs> the bigger point is that no, you know, in the whole world, you know, nobody really likes Israel except us, and Taiwan, and the UK, and France now with Macron didn't used to be that way. Um, who else? Chile not anymore. No more Pinochet. Um, Guatemala not anymore, no more junta there. Well, actually, it's pretty bad, so maybe Guatemala does. Honduras not anymore. Honduras has withdrawn their ambassador from Israel. There's a big weird thing going on in Honduras where they're sucking up to China, and they're they don't like us anymore. They don't like the U.S. at all. Yeah, but it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Um, and the Irish the left, are talking words, about it. Worldwide, the left, the worldwide, the left is making a lot of progress. You, know, you look at all the revolutions in Central Africa, whatever you think of them, and um believe from the media that's lies. Niger, Mali, um, you know, Sudan, um, this whole strip, Burkina Faso. There's a guy in Burkina Faso who they're saying reminds him of Thomas Sankara. And you probably know who Thomas Sankara is, but maybe very few of your listeners will, but he was a great revolutionary African leader in, back in the 60s. And uh, him and Che Guevara hung out. And there was a lot going on back then, in those days. A lot of real politics, not fake virtue signaling, Facebook, do-nothing politics. Climate change, wring your hands, but don't go to a paper mill and shut it down. That'd be too hard. That's what we used to do. That's what we still do. I don't know. I'm jaded. Do you think, <laughs> you and me both, by the way, but thank, th- thanks for sharing the show with me tonight, because if I had to do it by myself, I think, I'd have, um, yeah. I'd have nodded off that listening to myself, to be honest. I'd bore myself to death most of the time. But d- 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 I-, I love... I, I, I wouldn't dare ordinarily sum up your central thesis, um, but I'm going to do it now. I mean, what I've gotten from your books, and I'm not your run-of-the-mill presenter. You know, when I say to somebody, I've read their book, I have read their book. I hate those fake fuckers who, you know, they, they don't. I've read you. I've been blown away by your books, really, more than any books I've read. You know, and I've read Jim's, you know, I've read David's. Um, you're you're a breed apart, really. I think in terms of your ability to write, um, and that might be controversial now, but that's just my opinion, and I do mean that. And Jesus, you're you're surrounded by people. I mean, Jill is a terrific writer as well. You're uh, you're you're amazing, a better half. I appreciate that, Richie. That's high praise, and 
I don't think I'm worthy of it, but thank you. No, you're oh. a brilliant writer. It makes sense, you know. And, um, well, you have, you know, you have an editor handy. I mean, Jill's very good as well. And, but, but I wanted to say, look, the, the things that happen to us, the things that are engineered around us, the crises that we talked about, ultimately, these are part of a longer-term plan to do a number of things. Most importantly, or one of the things is to ensure that we never understand who we really are and where we came from. Is that number one on the priority? They're terrified. Whatever I'd it is. Say it would be, yeah. I'd, say, I'd say it would be number one because if they can keep us from knowing who we are and from, by extension, knowing the nature of reality, in other words, how things actually work in the world, you know, there's actually way more cooperation, for example, among animals than there is confrontation. You know, that's a huge one. It's so simple. But if you grew up on a farm, if you went to Kruger National Park in South Africa, if you hunted, trapped, and fished, fed pets your whole life, you lived in the country your whole life, like I have, then I think you have a better shot at it. But not everybody that does that even sees it either because they'll go to church and they'll tell them something different or they'll go to chamber of commerce and they'll do whatever. But it, and in all the textbooks are Royal Society generated and they just keep spitting out this lies about the nature of reality. So if you understand the nature of reality, being totally different than it is, you're going to behave differently. You know, we're going to, we're going to cooperate. We're going to help each other. We're not going to be in competition. But see, it's all, it's all reined in by this capitalist system, which puts us at odds with each other. And before that, it was colonialism. It still is neocolonialism. Before that, it was medieval uh, times when they just, you know, and that's what I'm afraid is coming back is this sort of medieval, uh, you know, electronic uh, feudalism is what I call it. But so you'll have technology, but you'll be treated like you, the people in the feudal age were treated. And that's what, and just to finish my thought about the Pentagon person with Biden, because it's important, you know, her last name was Singh. And the Singh family is all the Sikhs, their last name Singh. And the Sikhs have always helped the CIA in Central Asia and India, Pakistan especially, run their drugs, uh, their organ traffic, everything they do. And um, she was a Singh. So she was, the, she was Biden's spokesperson for the Pentagon. Um, you know, you have, you have a mayor in London named Khan now. K-H-A-N, that's the Bloodline family. That's the Aga Khan Foundation that created Al-Qaeda, created uh, Mujahideen, all these right-wing, right-wing, pro-capitalist, hate women, uh, reactionary entities that infiltrated the Muslim world and took over and, and supplanted the leftist socialist movements like the PLO and the Front for Liberation of Palestine. So the Khan family is another one. And you'll, if you start watching TV, I, I was watching TV the other day, just a business channel, right? And Bank of, was it Bank of America? No, Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo, CFO, last name, Google it, Massimo. Massimo is one of the black nobility bloodline families, you know, from, you know, in, in the Holy Roman Empire. So they're literally coming out of the closet now, with this phase now, where they're, they're done with pretense, they control the political system, both parties, um, they don't have to worry about being voted out. They don't have to worry about their assets being expropriated. They don't have to worry about anything. And they're now just coming out. Not only do they own BlackRock and Vanguard, which owns the Fortune 500 anymore, now they're actually putting their people in positions of management and spokespeople and all these things. And so I just wanted to get back to that one point because if you just pay attention, you'll start seeing the bloodline names. Um, and, yet, of course, you have to know the bloodline names too. And, you know, my books talk about all that. So, Yeah, but. yeah I mean, t t when I first understood that, the, you know, 
again, not to not, not to dare to try and summarise your research in a few sentences, but didn't you first tell me years and years and years ago that the the bloodlines or the families they knew the game was up, didn't they? In the 13th, 14th century, they knew that people wouldn't put up with it forever. Is that where democracy came from? The idea of democracy, you know, constitutional monarchies. Sure. Yeah, well, sure, that... sure. United States, look at yeah. what did the United States do. The American Revolution, we fought against King George. Yeah, you know, yeah. and the French fought against their king, King Louis, and you know, I mean, the, that was progress. You know, whether or not it was infiltrated by the Freemasons, and yes, it was, and there was bad people trying to steer it right away. Yes, there was, but look, democracy. Thomas Jefferson, still, you know, yeah, he had slaves and whatever, but still one of my favorite. American politicians in history, he said, uh, democracy is the buffer between the the uh, aristocracy and the peasants. And that's what it is. So this whole idea that government bad, government bad, anything government bad, you know, that was spread since Reagan and Thatcher throughout the Western world. It's been, it's almost like part of our brains now that most people think that way. And that's why there's no left anymore. There's a virtue signaling woke movement that's sponsored by the bloodline corporations, but that's not the left. <laughs> you know, no, some people the left say, oh, is the gone. left is going off the rails. That ain't the left, Jose. They're not doing anything for working people. They're not doing anything to upset the apple cart. They just like getting on Facebook and telling people how great they are and what great Mother Teresa shit they did today. Yeah. And oh boy, it's not important because they're narcissists and they just want attention. It was sad. it was genius though, really, when you think about it. Like, right, the peasants are going to revolt. So what do we do? Well, let's give them um, a group. Let's allow them to vote amongst their own number to send people to a building yeah. in the capital, and we'll let exactly. them believe that those people are their chosen representatives. But in the meantime, we, as the kings and the queens, we will maintain, you know, the position of head of state. And we will pretend that this doesn't mean very much. We will pretend that this is just, you know, ceremonial and all that. But in reality, these people are still running the show. Alongside yeah. their the, the, the banking cartels they, they married into. And when you yeah. see it, Dean, and you reveal it through your books over the years... It's so bloody obvious. Let, let me read you a few comments. I mean, huge interest in this. Dean's got a Substack, by the way. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Go to substack.com forward slash at Dean Henderson or deanhenderson.substack.com will do. deanhenderson.substack.com. Do subscribe to it, please. He's got thousands of subscribers on there. Uh, and, and there you that's, go, man. Yeah, I've, I, I'm such a... I'm, shitty self-promoter, but thanks for bringing that up. No, it's good. My wife did five months uh, on that, by the way, Jill, and she rebuilt the entire left hook site that was deleted twice, once in 2014, once in 2019, right before COVID. And um, so I really want to say that my wife did an awesome job because I I would not have been able to do it. The technology involved going from WordPress to Substack, you know, they don't mesh and it's amazing. So yeah, she, we're we're still loading up archives for another three months, I think, because there's so many. I'm like 700 posts or interviews or whatever, and of course a lot of them we couldn't find because they were deleted by YouTube. But um, we got some Richie shows on there for sure, <laughs> a bunch of them. Yeah. And um, appreciate somebody mentioning that anyway. Whoever that was. Yeah, I yeah. couldn't believe at that time when when it disappeared the site. I couldn't get over it because 
I I I've I've vampired off it like more than once. I would be inter- interviewing a guest, and it would be on the subject of of Anunnaki or something. And obviously, I don't have the knowledge. So while in mid-interview, I would get over to um, Henderson Left Hook. I'd be on there straight away looking for a bit of information, and then I. <laughs> But I always said where I got it from. I would always say, listen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, right, 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 man. That's, that's, look, you got a big compliment, man. And, um, you got to do yeah, that. Yeah, and I, I want to say, too, um, this is amazing and tells me that, you know, we are, we're going to win, they're going to lose, because um, there's only two sides here. And we're on one side and on the other. And I just want to say that my books just exploded in October. First time ever. I mean, three times more than I've ever sold in a month. And it was almost 2,000 books. And something to do with this guy named Richard Vobe in the UK, and I don't know who he is. Ah, oh. I, that name is familiar now. You, uh, there might, was a, yeah. a tweet or something that went viral about this guy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. And anyway, so some activist brought Jill and I's book, which is the third to last book, the Illuminati Gen 21 book, to his attention, and he interviewed her about it. And yeah, I'm just sitting there one night, and all of a sudden I sold 400 books in one day, and I'm like, whoa, where'd that go from? And I thought maybe they were messing with me, right? <laughs> you know, or whatever. Right, yeah, yeah. They usually do it. Um, so anyway, it, you know, it's great for me, but it, more importantly, it just tells me, Richie, and anybody out there, that people are waking up, and they're waking up fast. And that's why these shitheads are doing desperate things, trying to start World War III, um, because the gig's up for them. The gig's up, and it's all about awareness. It's all about just all we got to do is pay attention, know this is happening. You can't stop evil if you don't know what's coming at you. No, it's hard to imagine there's evil in the world for some people, but it's just a tiny percentage, and guess what? They're not human, so it doesn't mean humans are bad either. Woohoo! So, you know, just keep the faith, everybody, and um, keep fighting. I know everybody listening to you is at least aware, conscious, and, and fighting, and uh, and I appreciate all the people that are doing that because uh, y'all are my brothers and sisters. Absolutely right, Dean. Uh, Dean Henderson on Substack.com. So last question then before we... Um, Powered company. Thanks for coming back today. Um, short notice as well. I didn't. I didn't let the listeners know. Um, somebody let me down late on, and it was one of those. I don't mind that, but it was one of those where somebody pulled out because, well, they thought I might get into trouble if I go on, and that happens once every now and then, and it really it disappoints me really because, you know, if you can't give in to that, you know, I'd like to go on the Richie Allen show, but I'd better not because I'll be criticised by my boss or. Uh, by somebody. So it was one of them. No big deal. It does happen. But Patricia asks a good question here. Um, she asks about the Congress and the Senate pledging allegiance to Israel and why it happens. Now, there are two trains of thought here. One is Paul Craig Roberts, who I'm a great admirer of because he's a lovely uh, fella and he's always come on the show with me and we've we've argued like like a couple of old, like the odd couple, Walter Matthau yeah. and, you know, we argue Jack Lemon, me and him, because I see things differently sometimes. And he's brilliant. He takes it on the chin and he gives it back to me. And he wins because he's older and wiser, so he gives me a kicking and what have you. So <laughs> I, I love Paul, right? He's brilliant. Now, he reckons that we have it wrong. I don't mean you and me, but that those of us who think that Israel has undue influence in countries like the United States and that the United States is a puppet of Israel, he says bollocks to that. He says the Israel is the military-industrial complex's little fiefdom in the Middle East, and that Israel is the bitch, not the United States. And he makes a good argument, even if I still don't agree with him. So final question to you then. What do you think of that as a concept? 
Well, I, my take on it is that Israel's the bitch of the U.S., but, but but the U.S. is the bitch of the city of London and the Crown Corporation, because the only reason we back Israel is because the 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 city of London. That's our role. We're the Hessianized mercenary army for the crown. And 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 Israel is sort of the intelligence gathering, um, false flag. They come up with the false they're they're the experts at false flags. Right? I mean that it's all about you know, Victor Ostrowski wrote the book about Mossad and it's called the art of Art of deception, I think, or something. But the whole nature of intelligence, of course, is deception, right? I mean, it's just kind of dirty by its nature. But but the Israelis are the ones that get real sophisticated about it, along with the MI6. I mean, the MI6 maybe is actually even more good, better at it. So I, I think my answer is we're both bitches of the city of London. And Israel serves its role, you know, and also the role of just stirring up the oil, you know, stirring up the Arabs in that region, keeping them divided, trying to turn them against each other, funding both sides of the Iran-Iraq war, for example, creating Hamas to get rid of the PLO, for example, getting rid of pesky leftist nationalist movements in the region and the world, because Israelis are in Guatemala training the Guatemalan army, too, when there was a resistance there. They were in Nicaragua training Somoza's people when, um, when the Sandinistas rose up. And so they each have their job, but I think there's, for our seniority, they're both bitches of the city of London. And these are the people that just, again, sit back, do nothing, let other people take the heat, let other people do the work. Remember, 33 vertebrae in the human body, fact. 33 degrees masons become Illuminati. That they consider that the head. So that head is supposed to guide the little peasants and the dumb people, the rest of us. That's the way they think of us. Throughout through life, and 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 you know this is where we'll take them, and and then what sits upon the head? Oh, the crown, the crown sits upon the head, and what does the crown do? Absolutely fucking nothing, you know. Yeah. The total vampires. Diddly squat. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't even you know, nothing. <laughs> Useless as tits on a boar, or on yeah. a bull. I don't. I can't remember which. It's it's a southern saying, isn't it? As useless as teats on a boar or on a bull. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's the yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. It's Dean. Look, um, first of all, thanks for for jumping in today. Um, today was a day I didn't need to be sitting here for two hours talking to myself. So thanks for for jumping in. You were the only guy I asked. Yeah. I know you don't believe that. I know you don't believe it. No, but I you do. are the I, only I, guy. I do, Richard. You I do. really appreciate you thinking of me, and I'm glad to be on here. And thank you for having no, me. No, it's you brilliant, I mean? mate. I'm, I'm humbled to be on your show every time I am because. Best uh, all radio in the world, and um, help Richie out with some with some quid, man. Because you know everybody, yeah, things are. And he does a lot of work for nothing, man. And uh, anyway, we love it though, Dean. Dean Henderson dot substack dot com. Subscribe to Dean Substack. Please check out one of his books. Uh, check out all his books. But buy one of his books today. Read it. Give it to your next door neighbor, and then buy another book. Um, because if you're not supporting researchers and writers like Dean, uh, they're going to disappear and go do something else. And uh, we need all the good writing and broadcasting we can get right now. Give um, our love to Jill and say to Jill that she should pop on sometime before Christmas for a chat if she has the time. We'd love to have her back. Great. It's been a long time. Great. Sounds, sounds great, Richie. I uh, really appreciate you having me. And uh, just keep doing, keep, keep doing your great work, brother. 
Thank you, Dean, our great friend, Dean Henderson. Again, deanhenderson.substack.com. Uh, thank you, Dean, and thanks to, to Jill for all the work putting all the old left hook WordPress um, 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 vo- volumes and volumes. I mean, thousands of articles, um, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of interviews. Uh, Jill did all that. Jill Henderson, so fabulous. Well done to her. And to Dean. Thank you, Dean. Lovely stuff. Um, to your messages now in a minute. Before that, though, I'm going to grab myself a glass of water. And this is kind of appropriate, and it is a bit of a coincidence, really. It's a coincidence, a quinky dink. I'm Richie Allen, quarter to the top of the air. And this is the great Tina Turner then. Yeah, the amazing Tina Turner and the best on the Richie Allen Show Wednesday it is, uh, the 15th of November 2023. Gonna make another minor adjustment there, Captain. On the bridge, yeah, lovely, done that, good, good. Yeah, love having Dean on the programme. Love having him on. Thank you for your messages. I really appreciate it. Um, the gaslighting. Gaslighting is a big thing. Now, it's a term which is uh, relatively relatively fresh in our lexicon, isn't it? Gaslighting, isn't it? To, to try and convince somebody that what they absolutely know to be real or true is, in fact, a figment of their imagination. That's one definition you might give to, to gaslighting but I look at this um, I look at this this for example this um, Rwanda thing Rwanda, Rwanda, Rwanda I look at that here in the UK and I see it as being just a wonderful example of gaslighting people, of insulting people's intelligence basically of, of laughing in the faces of the nation you know the whole plan to take asylum seekers Throw them on a jumbo jet or whatever jet, maybe 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 something smaller, and cart them off to Rwanda. That this was how you deal with, you know, criminal gangs sending people across the uh, the channel in, in these in these rubber dinghies. I mean, it's just absolutely gaslighting. What do I mean by gaslighting? Well, the average man or woman. You know, I don't believe I'm above average. I'm not putting myself above anybody. But and somebody of average intelligence, they know that any government that wishes to stop people coming into the country who do not have a legitimate claim for asylum, if any government was genuinely serious about preventing that from happening, it is a very, very simple thing to do. That's the whole thing, isn't it? It's one big, massive psychological operation, a psyop on, on people, to drive them mad. Do you know who, who's brilliant at explaining this? I understand it, but I don't have his um, flow. So not too many people have his flow, but John Waters. I have a good flow. I'm up there with anybody, I think. I can talk. I'm Irish. But John Waters is brilliant at speaking about these things, you know. Convincing people, not convincing them, but kind of drive, slowly but surely driving people mad. And I don't mean insane, but making them, driving them to a state of rage and bewilderment. Rage, bewilderment followed by rage. There's a lot of that, you know. And this is one of those issues they they use, you know. Any government which wants to say, look, enough's enough, can stop it at any time. You can stop it 
in the channel. You can stop it before the channel. You can just stop it. But of course, again, it speaks to that fact you and I understand to be true, but most people don't get it, that these guys, idiots like Rishi Sunak, look at Rishi Sunak, look at him, listen to him speak, this husband of a billionaire-ess, look at that clown Braverman that he fired, look across the floor to that um, stick insect, what did Sybil Fawlty call Basil Fawlty, it's the greatest insult of all time. The idea that this young woman would be interested in you, you ageing, brilliantine, stick insect of a man, or something along those lines. You look at Keir Starmer. The idea that any of these people would be given the keys to the kingdom. Yeah, it is yours to decide. Yes, you run the country. I mean, it's so obvious to me and to you, but beyond the scope of most people, it is the one thing, if we don't convince people, if we don't convince them that what they see is an illusion, that these people are message carriers, no more, no less. I know this is old. I know this is entry-level stuff for you. I know that. But it isn't entry-level stuff for the, the, the great majority of people because they engage with this bollocks. They believe it to be true. They believed that poor Jeremy Corbyn was prevented from becoming Prime Minister. And if he had been, things would be so much different. They believed this bollocks. We have to disengage them, disavow them of these, of these ideas, you know. Any government that wants to stop, any government, you know, any government of the people would not, as we see in Ireland, allow hotels in small towns, vital infrastructure in small towns be seized seized taken from the people and given over to house 300 young able-bodied men from eastern europe or from sub-saharan africa no government of the fucking people would do that would they you know and yet they still believe it's bad policy most irish people i know think i'm fucking crazy the people i grew up with think i'm insane you know uh, he must be getting well paid, really, because Richie can't believe that. He must be getting well paid to be talking all of that conspiracy shit. Uh, no and no. <laughs> no, I'm not. And no, it isn't conspiracy shit. Like, you know, what would it take for you to believe that the decision to commandeer the hotel and the swimming pool and put 300 blokes in a village that had 160 people, when will you stop and think, well, maybe there's something else going on here. This is the key to it. This is the key. That and the money system. If you can get to people, forget about the vaccine injuries. Forget about it. I mean, no, don't forget about it. You've got to talk about it. But that's not your way in. Your way in is to demonstrate to them that message carriers, front men, not leaders, not managers of public life no they're not they deliver messages on behalf of another of another agenda of another party and that's where we need to get to with people if you get there you've got a chance i think anyway enough, enough for me today good to be back with you mark windows is on with me tomorrow for an extended chat it's been ages since mark was on 
Mark Windows, the boy himself, Windows on the World.net. That'll be fascinating tomorrow, Thursday. Uh, do uh, keep an eye out in the AM for the papers podcast. It's a relatively new daily podcast where I just look at the papers and chat about them. Uh, maybe one or two giggles in there. Uh, it's lighthearted. It's something for 25 minutes in the mornings. So the papers will be on air, or, or online, I should say, not on air because it isn't live. It'll be online around about 9 a.m. most mornings. So there you are. Listen, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks again to Dean Henderson. His website address is deanhenderson.substack.com. Subscribe to it and do check out his books. His books are brilliant. And um, that's all I've got to say to you uh, this Wednesday. Until tomorrow, it's bye from me. And I'm leaving you with the Blues Brothers, right? Because I felt like it today. I thought the Blues Brothers will close out with. Speak tomorrow. Bye.